0: Hey y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren, and this week marks the halfway point of our study, Light and Life, a study of Psalm 119. I have been blown away by the truths of who God is and what His Word does for us that we have seen throughout the study. And I love hearing from y'all as well as He brings greater understanding to you as you study. As always, it's not too late to join in. We meet live on Zoom on Tuesday nights, or you can gather a few girlfriends and do the study on your own. Go to feastingontruth.com slash Bible study for more information and check out the show description for a link to buy the study journal. This week starts with desperation. But when we cling to God's word, even in the midst of our deepest and most desperate afflictions, He brings light and life through his word. Here is week five of Psalm 119. Welcome to week five. We are officially at the halfway point here of our study through Psalm 119. Um, We actually hit the midway point in our study this week. And so I just... I want to congratulate you and um, tell you like we're getting over the hump tonight <laughs> and so I know um, I just anytime we're studying the word anytime that we are learning to endure and and make that habit to to continue even when it gets hard to continue when life is full of distractions um, my day today has been full of a thousand little distractions and a thousand little annoyances and um, it's just such a reminder that sometimes we just have to push through and show up and do the work, but that it is always so worth it. So I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm gonna open this up in prayer because um, Lord knows I need it. Um, Father, we just come before you. So grateful for the opportunity to study your word. God, um, that we have this time and this format and this way that we can continue to study your word. Lord, I just pray that as we dive deep tonight, we would remember who you are. God, that we would remember that you are the ultimate teacher and that you are the one who gives us understanding that it can't come from any other human, but Lord, from you and you alone. And so God, I just humbly ask, Lord, I open myself to you, to your word. God, let me be a conduit of your truth. Protect my mouth from saying anything that is not of you but Lord let um, your word flow through me in a way that allows us to see who you are and it's in your name I pray amen we are in um, as I said our fifth week of study and we are um, we were in verses 81 through 104. So we're hitting into the 100s. And as I mentioned, we officially hit our halfway point. Um, So I am so excited that we are marching through. And I know that this is typically the point where we either give up and walk away because we're either far behind or we're like, okay, I kind of got the gist of it. I get it, his word is important, done. Okay, check, let's move on. this is the point where i find myself tempted to be like this is so repetitive i feel like he's saying the same things over and over and over again but i want us to really push past that and to allow um, him to speak to us because like i said before we even started this um there is going to be a temptation to be like this is the same thing over and over and over. But this week's study, I felt like was such an a good example of that to me, of how when I push past that temptation to just be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. But to really dive deep, I can see the beauty and the difference and the and the new uh, slight nuances in the way that he talks about God's word and what it does for us. Um, so with that, we are going to start with Calf. Uh, Verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope for in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug Pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your word. All your commands are sure, commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. This is the most desperate. Stanza. It is this pinnacle of desperation. He uh, more than we have seen in any of the stanzas to this point. He's pleading with God. When will you comfort me? How long must I endure? Um, when will you judge those who persecute me? Help me! Exclamation point. I'm like a wineskin in smoke. Um, they would use animal skins to create. Um, vessels for wine and if they were exposed to too much smoke they would shrivel up they would become hard and they would become useless and he's saying that like just like that I find myself shriveled up hardened and useless they have almost made an end of me give me life but the totality of this affliction we miss in English. Um, In Hebrew, he uses three versions of the Hebrew word that means to be finished or to cease or to bring an end to. Um, In verse 81, where it says, I long for your salvation or my soul faints for your salvation. He's saying, my soul is finished. Verse 82, my eyes grow weary Or my eyes fail. He's saying, my eyes are finished. My my soul is finished. My eyes are finished. And then verse 87, they almost ended my life. My life is almost finished. And this trifecta use of this verb points to the completeness that he is completely finished. He's completely to his end. He is overwhelmed by the great affliction that he is facing. But even in his desperate pleas with God, he has not turned away from God's word. And we talked last week about how hard this truly is. Because when our minds are consumed by the pressure, by the affliction, by the things that continue to keep us down, it is so hard To turn our minds toward the truth of what we know in God's word. It's when Satan continues to tempt us to to whisper those lies and tell us that, that, that he's lying to us or he's forgotten us or that what he said isn't true. And yet even in that place, he says, I hope in your word, I have not forgotten your statutes. He knows the truth or better put here, he talks about He knows when people are not living according to that truth. He knows God is truth and they are liars. And he is clinging to that truth. And I have not forsaken your word. Um, And if you'll notice, this is just a quick little note. Verse 84 was the first verse that we've encountered that did not have one of the Hebrew words for word in it. There was no... um, synonym used in that so it's the first one remember we said almost every single verse in the 176 verses uses a word for word and um, that was the first one that didn't Um, but in our most desperate places do we hope remember and cling to his word And I actually wanna jump straight into the next stanza because I think it shows us the benefit of what happens when we continue to cling to his word in those places. Listen to the script flip here. This is Lamed, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Here's our theme, one of our theme verses. I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. I am yours save me for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Um so again we see in verses 90 and 91 no synonym for the word. Um so if you didn't find one in there, you got the right answer. <laughs> um, So last stanza, we see the psalmist saying that those who persecute him have almost brought an end to his life. We see this complete finished feeling in him that the affliction is so great that unless God shows up, he is going to crumble in death. But then we move into the next stanza and we see this amazing, beautiful praise of God. Um, last stanza, I felt like I was trying so hard to find characters of God. Like nothing was really, there weren't very many that jumped straight out. I think I came up with only four or five is the first pass. But this stanza, I couldn't write fast enough. He jumps right in declaring he is eternal. He is infinite. He is Yahweh. He is permanent. He is faithful. He is creator. He is sovereign. He is a god of order he is master adonai he is unshakable immutable life and savior forever yahweh is your word it is eternal it is firmly fixed it is unchanging permanent and unmoving you, are, you established the earth and by your appointment it stood then and it stands now He created it. And if you'll remember, we've talked about anytime we see something calling God creator. So because he established the earth, he is pointing to God as the creator. That doesn't mean that he's creative. Um, It doesn't mean that, wow, look at all the cool different kinds of things he created. To them, him being creator meant that what comes first is chief. He existed before what he created and because of that, because he created it, he's in charge of what he created. And we see him here pointing to the order in which he created that he put everything, he established it and it stands. It has a system that allows it to continue to be and and survive and um, and just function as it should. Um, In Job chapter 38, this is one of my favorite pictures of who God is. It actually spans, I think, a couple chapters, but God comes to Job in a whirlwind. If you'll remember, Job suffered great, um, probably even more so than David did here. Um, He lost his family, he lost his wealth, he lost every possession, he lost his friends, He was um, faced sickness and he comes to God, questioning him, and and God answers him. I'm going to read just a few of the verses because they're just so powerful. I'm going to start in um, verse four. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? It goes on and on with the greatness of who God is. And it so often reminds me that I am so little, and I don't say that in a way that is like you're worthless, you know, like so often we can become self-deprecating because of who we are in comparison to God. But more than anything, that chapter humbles me to the point where I recognize that he is so much greater than I am, that as creator, he is the one who set the boundaries for the ocean, who said, waves, you can only come this far, who put the stars in the sky, who told the sun to rise in the morning and the moon to come out at night. Although sometimes it's out during the day, I get that. But that that God is the one who created the order by which our universe lives. And by extension, Jesus does as well. Um, We see In um, John chapter 1, how it talks about how Jesus was there in the beginning, that all things were created through him. In Hebrews 1, 3 through 4, he's talking about Jesus. He says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. God and, and Jesus are holding together the entire universe and everything is subject to him. Did you catch that? He said that everything are his servants. That means they are subject to God. The waves are subject to him. We see that over and over in Jesus's ministry with how he calms the waves. He he can even calm the things that no man can because he is God. He is that big. And yet he graciously bends down to us. And he gives us life according to his word. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. In John chapter 11, as Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha, his sister, comes to him and is saying, Lord, why weren't you here? You could have saved him. And I know, yeah, he's going to be raised on the last day. And Jesus proclaims this very profound truth to her. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? By the word of Jesus, by the word of God, we find life. And our God is in the resurrection business. And I think about the psalmist and as he is writing, what depths of despair and affliction he must have been facing that it almost crushes him to the point of death. And it was only because of his delight in God's word that he remembered God's promise that his life is spared. Y'all that's how powerful the word of God is. And it, it doesn't just, and it's because um, his word, and I know that can be confusing because you're like, how does that give me life? It, it sustains us because it reminds us who God is. It sustains us because it reminds us of what his promises are. And we've talked throughout this whole study about finding the character of God in, in here and why that's so important. But not only that, that we are also um, seeking to understand what is promised to us and what is not, because that arms us with the truth that brings life. And not only does he bring life and resurrect us, he brings abundant life. (laughs) Um, In verse 96, it says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your Commandment is exceedingly broad. This may be my favorite phrase from our study this week. Exceedingly broad. We saw this same idea back in verses forty-four and forty-five, where he was talking about walking in a wide place. Um, we so often think of his word as narrowing. We think his word. We think his law. His rules. In in, in our Finite human minds—it so often makes it sound like less. We see here that it is actually freedom, that it's abundant, that it's wide, that it's exceedingly broad freedom, to live life according to His Word. John ten ten says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, and have it abundantly." First Peter. One, um 5 tells us that our enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, seeking to devour. He seeks to take away. He seeks to limit. He seeks to steal, to kill, to destroy, to devour. The enemy is actually the one who takes away. He's the one that actually narrows us. But Jesus, the living word of God, came to give us abundant life. Not a life of more Jesus, of more stuff, but a life of more Jesus. That is what abundant life is in scripture. And when we say yes to Jesus, that is what we get. This idea of abundance is one that I have been tracing the thread through scripture. And anytime I see a place where I see the word abundant, I make a note of it and keep a list of all the things that we have an abundance of because of Jesus and because of how God loves us. Um, And so here are just a few. John 10.10, John 15.5 tell us that we have abundant life. Romans 8.37 tells us that we have abundant victory, that we are more than conquerors. Romans 8.26, we have an abundant interceding for us. The Holy Spirit. It says that He is hyper interceding for us. That word hyper means abundant. He is praying for us, going before the throne with groans and moanings that we cannot even comprehend. We have abundant comfort. 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 5. Matthew 13 10 through 12 talks about the abundant secrets that we have more understanding about who God is, about His kingdom because of. Our being um, his child, First Timothy 1 12 through 15, we have abundant grace. Psalm 37 11, we have abundant peace. Psalm 31 19, we have abundant goodness. Isaiah 55 7, we have abundant pardon from our sins. This is the freedom that we experience because he is the one who carries the weight. It is not on your shoulders. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, and you can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The freedom that we get to experience is is a freedom of not having to carry that anymore. It's not on our shoulders. And I know so often as we are walking through storms of life, when we are under crushing affliction, when we think there's no way out of this, this is one of my favorite pictures of what he does for us. Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Y'all, we have a great high priest. We have an intercessor. We have somebody who went on our behalf, who paid the price and covered our sins so that we could have access and a covering that abundant pardon over our lives. But he isn't someone who just paid the price and he's like, that's it. I'm out. Good luck with all the hard stuff. He actually can sympathize with us and our weakness. He is seated at the right hand interceding for us as well. But there's this beautiful picture here where it says that we find, receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That Greek word for help is actually a nautical term. And some of you may have um, heard me share this before. The only other time we see it is in Acts 27:17, where Paul is in a shipwreck and they're in the midst of the storm at sea. And in order to keep the boat and the, everyone safe in this storm, they undergird the ship. They take ropes and chains, and they pass them around the ship so that literally it is holding the boat together in the storm. And that's the word that the author of Hebrews uses for the help that we find in him, that he is literally wrapping us and holding us together so that no matter what affliction, we may be crushed. We may be persecuted, but we are not crushed. We are not abandoned. He is there holding us together. He is the one who established the earth and he keeps it in motion. He um, is holding together the universe and um, if he kept it standing then and he's keeping it standing now, I promise he can hold you together too. And what a beautiful transition we see from this moment in, um, in Calf where he is just desperate. He is pleading with God to show up. And then we see the turn where he recognizes who it is that held him together and whose word brought life. And then we come to Maim, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This is someone who is passionate about God's work. This is someone who doesn't just rely on other teachers to teach them, but someone who relies on the great teacher, on the rabbi, on the great high priest to teach him and to give understanding. And we know that he promises to do that for us. And when we come to his word firsthand, when we come seeking the character of God, that is a prayer that he delights to answer. He loves revealing himself to his children. And the result is wisdom and holding to his word. Y'all, this is my prayer for feasting on truth. This is my prayer for you, that no matter what storms we are going through, no matter what afflictions are over us or what trials that we face, that his word will continue to be sweet to us, that we will sit down and pull up a table, a, a seat, to the feast of his word, not a quick snack in the morning or something that we just check or we grab and go, but that we would learn to delight in his word in a way that carries us throughout all of the days, that it would become a meditation of our heart throughout the day, not just something that we visit quickly in the morning and then we, we move on, but it would be a hearty meal sets us up to follow him, that we would turn our feet toward him and away from every evil way, that he would give us understanding as we study inductively, that he would turn um, us toward his truth, and that we would grow to hate the sin, the falsehood, not just in the world, but in our own hearts that he would reveal that and then that we would follow him and we would put it all away. Cling to the promise that we have in 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever, amen. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you for being the one who holds all things together. Lord, thank you for being the one who established this earth, who told the waves you can only come this far. The one who put the stars in the sky, the one who sets the boundaries and is a God of order and Lord, that you created, for lack of a better word, the system that we live in, Lord, and that you hold it all together. Lord, we are so small. God, I cannot count the stars. Lord, I cannot control the seas. And Lord, I know that I cannot carry the burdens that are on my life. Lord, I just pray that every woman listening would feel the lift and the freedom of putting her cares, her anxieties, her afflictions, Lord, in your hands. God, that you would undergird her, that you would wrap her, that you would hold her together in whatever storm she is facing right now that you would remind her of your great power, that even um, because you can hold the world together, that you can hold her together too. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for bending down to us and giving us the opportunity through the blood of Jesus Christ to have access to relationship with you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. carries it all, and He holds it all together. And we so often focus on the things that we know we can't carry. When life is too unbearable, we instantly go to these verses that remind us that He is there to take our burdens. But when He says that He can carry it all, that means even the stuff we can carry. His freedom, his exceedingly broad and abundant freedom, means that we don't even have to carry the things we can. He takes it all. And we get to walk in his ways, grow in our understanding of his word, and enjoy fellowship with our sovereign creator. I challenged our groups this week to answer a couple of questions. One was, how does God's word lead us to a place that is exceedingly broad and how is this counterintuitive to what the world would tell us? Also, where do you see God bringing life through his word in your life right now? take some time to really reflect and see the places where he is working and moving and growing you in that understanding and drawing you closer to his heart and his ways. I hope you have a great week as we study verses 105 to 128, and I'll see you back here next week.